welcome to the Fit Leaders Podcast, the podcast for leaders seeking sustainable success. I'm your host, David Chinsky, founder of the Institute for Leadership Fitness and creator of Fit Leaders Academy. Join me as we explore how fit leaders enjoy vibrant lives marked by personal health and sustained contributions. In this podcast, The Conflict Manager, we're going to talk about how leaders manage disagreements with others. For many people, the word conflict conjures up some very negative connotations. I often ask leaders in my workshops to word associate with me as I tell them the word conflict. The most frequently cited words that I hear associated with the word conflict are anger, disagreement, frustration, dispute, tense, awkward, difficult, stressful, argumentative, uncomfortable, even war. And often some people will just give me the name of an individual that they think of when they hear the word conflict. The common thread weaving through all of these answers is negativity. And I would say that 75 to 80% of the answers that I hear fall into this bucket. Based on our personal experiences, many of us do expect conflict to be hard, to be painful, even messy. The more we study what makes leaders effective and organizations successful, the more we realize that conflict does not have to be a negative experience. In fact, conflict is simply looking at the same issue differently, with a different perspective, from a different vantage point. The negative part of conflict often comes from the way we manage the disagreement, the way we communicate our disagreement. If we're going to effect change and progress in an organization, on a team, or even in our own personal lives, there's no way around conflict. It's not realistic to expect that we will go through life without some level of disagreement. And it's in that disagreement that we learn how to evolve and to actually get better and maybe even reinvent ourselves and our organizations. Let's take a look at three examples that I think point to why we might want to reconsider whether conflict should be thought of in this negative way. Let's start with the Grand Canyon. I'm sure that some of you have been to the Grand Canyon. This is an experience that I would suggest all of us experience. It is truly amazing, and pictures certainly don't do it justice. If you ask yourself, how was the Grand Canyon formed, what would be your answer? Well, if you know the history of the canyon, you know that the waters of the Colorado River crashed against the canyon mountains for hundreds of years, causing excessive erosion, which eventually created the Grand Canyon. So ask yourself, would you agree that erosion is a form of conflict? I would. What about diamonds? Again, these beautiful gems are created through conflict. Diamonds are produced when coal is placed under intense pressure for many years. Finally, there is the sought-after pearl. Pearls are the result of another form of conflict, in this case, irritation, caused by a grain of salt inside an oyster shell. 
My takeaway from these three examples is that if Mother Nature uses conflict to create some of the most beautiful objects in the world, then perhaps there is an important contribution from conflict, from this give and take, from this disagreement, from this pressure that we all encounter from day to day. It's inevitable that we will face some type of conflict in our lives. And if we learn to accept conflict and stay focused on the positive changes it can bring, we can transform it into a powerful and effective leadership asset. One of the most important things to appreciate with respect to conflict is that managing it is very situational. If we always attempt to resolve conflict in the same way without considering the specific nature of our disagreement and who we are in disagreement with, we are less likely to resolve the conflict successfully. I'd like to introduce seven classical styles of conflict management, the most typical responses that that leaders will take when they find themselves in a conflict situation. After I review these seven classical styles, I'm going to also share with you the five what we call conflict handling modes that come out of the Thomas Kilman conflict mode instrument. So let's start with these seven classical styles of conflict management. Depending upon the situation, leaders can elect one of these approaches with the exception of one of them, which I will cover when we get to it, to begin managing conflict. Also know that it is not uncommon to move in and out of multiple conflict management styles in a single conflict as the conversation evolves. So let's start with the first of these seven classical styles, which is called avoidance. Avoidance is characterized by an approach that sounds like, let me out of here. I don't want to get involved. This is not an issue that I have any stake in. It's not important to me. And so I'm not going to get into this conflict. There are a number of situations where leaders might smartly choose avoidance. Let me give you some examples. When an issue is unimportant to us, or when other issues are more pressing. So it might be that we're choosing to focus on something else because we have so much on our plate, so we decide to not get involved, to avoid getting involved in other issues. When we perceive no chance of satisfying our concerns, we may choose to avoid. When the potential costs of confronting a conflict outweigh the benefits of its resolution, we may actually decide that we'll cause more harm than good by trying to advocate for our particular position. Sometimes we need to let people cool down. So in this case, avoidance may simply be a temporary step while we gather important information or as we let the temperature cool down. And then we go back and we might choose a different conflict management approach other than avoidance. And finally, we might strategically choose to avoid when other people can resolve this particular issue more effectively. In fact, when leaders choose to avoid, what they are often doing is developing their team members so that they get the opportunity to intervene, to step up, to take initiative and responsibility 
to solve a problem. If the leader is constantly weighing in just because they think they need to, because they're the leader, they essentially deprive their direct reports and perhaps their colleagues of providing answers and ideas because they're waiting for the leader to step in. So if we're always stepping in, our people will expect that we will always step in. And for fear perhaps of saying something that we're going to disagree with, once they stop talking after they've offered their idea, they may just wait, wait for it, wait for it. The leader is just about to tell us what to do. That's not a healthy way of developing the capacity and the competency and the confidence of our team. So sometimes when people take an assessment and they find that their strongest tendency is avoidance when it comes to conflict, they want to take the test over. They think, oh, I don't want to be an avoider. And I can tell you, though, that I think the bigger problem is with leaders who don't know how to avoid, who always have to get into the fray. They always have to say something. They always have to feel like they're solving the problem. We tend to be fixers in our role as leaders, and we need to determine when it's appropriate to come in and fix something because perhaps we have unique experience, and when it's more appropriate to step back and see other people step up and take responsibility for solving problems so that they can learn how to do that without our constant intervention. So avoidance, again, is an appropriate and responsible approach to resolving disagreement when it is in the service of our teams so that people don't develop this dependency relationship on us, on their leaders. Now, a second classical style of managing conflict is what we call accommodation. And accommodation is when we yield, we bend to the wishes and ideas of other people. We simply agree to do it someone else's way. We may have started with our opinion, or at some point in the conversation, we may have weighed in and, and said what we think should happen. And yet, if we hear a better idea, then we may choose to accommodate and to let it be the other person's way. So what are some situations where leaders might choose accommodation as the preferred approach to managing conflict. Well, one situation might be when we perceive that the issue being discussed is more important to the other person than it is to us. So if it's really not a big deal, whether it's done our way or the other person's way, then this is a great opportunity to just let it be the other person's way. Because when we do accommodate, we build reciprocity. We build up social credits, which increases the likelihood that the next time there's an issue, if this time the issue is more important to us than to someone else, that other person is more likely to accommodate us. Obviously, if we are outmatched and realize that there's no way our position is going to be accepted, or as I mentioned previously, we believe that the idea or ideas of others are actually better than ours, then that, again, is a perfect set of situations where we might strategically choose to accommodate rather than pushing for our idea. There are some leaders, and I'm sure you know some, that always have to have it their way, even when it doesn't have to be their way. 
And this can be very tiring for team members when they believe there's never an opportunity to influence or affect the outcome of a decision on the part of their boss. And if they feel that way, often the leader stops getting pushback, stops getting feedback, stops getting critical input that could actually positively impact the outcome of the decision. That's a place that no leader wants to be. Again, accommodation also contributes to the development of our team members. Because if we're accommodating their ideas, even after we may have stated our own position, it shows them that they're capable of pushing back on us and having us agree and giving them our trust and confidence to proceed in their way. The third classical style is passivity. Now, Remember I I said at the outset that all of these seven except one are appropriate responses to a disagreement. This is the one that we never want to actively select when we're in a conflict situation because passivity essentially is going along with someone else, even though we deeply resent it. So this sounds a little bit like accommodation because accommodation is going along with someone else's idea or strategy. What makes it passivity is when we really don't agree. And the risk of being passive or passive aggressive, as you may have heard it referred to, is that the passive person is likely to consciously or unconsciously create barriers to the successful outcome of whatever it is that the team is working on. So there could be some sabotage that could happen because the person who is being passive is still actively resisting the idea in their head. So they might nod their head in agreement. They may actually say, okay, and yet they're thinking in their head, no way. And that could continue to get in the way. So it's hard to know when someone is being passive. They can look like they're truly in agreement. And so one of the things that I often do to test whether it's accommodation or passivity is I'll often ask, so tell me what specifically resonated for you in the approach that I'm recommending. So if they can't answer that question in a way that suggests that they're truly on board, I might follow up with some other questions about, so what do you think might cause this not to work? Or what are some of the concerns that that remain for you? Because if we don't resolve those concerns and migrate that person's passivity into something more responsible and honest, we're likely to have some, some issues going forward. We're probably going to have someone who's going to actively be fighting us in the background and causing other people to also not support our idea. The fourth classical style is compromise. Now, I call compromise lose-lose. And I know that that causes some people to say immediately, no, David, that's not right. Compromise is win-win. The reason I classify compromise as lose-lose is that both parties really have to lose something for compromise to work. So even though both parties, if it's just two parties, will also win something, Because they also have to give up something, they have to trade something to get unstuck and to resolve a conflict 
using compromise, I call this form of conflict management lose-lose to differentiate it from the true win-win form of conflict management, which is collaboration. We'll talk about collaboration last, and that's really where both parties get what they came for and then more. It's truly a win-win and sometimes a win-win-win approach. With compromise, though, by definition, both parties give up something, and it's not a bad thing to give up something. In fact, most conflicts tend to be resolved using compromise. It's a way of getting unstuck, and sometimes it's a stepping stone to collaboration. Maybe we run out of time to get to a true win-win, so we agree to compromise for now and commit to coming back, perhaps to finding a better more win-win approach in the future. So some of the typical situations where someone or, or two people might choose to compromise is when you have two parties of equal power and no one person can kind of say, this is the way it's going to be. Both parties have to work it out, which means they're going to have to, to do some horse trading. Sometimes they need to arrive at an expedient solution because of some time pressure. So compromise is a wonderful and often used approach to managing conflict as long as we appreciate that both parties do have to give up something to make it a compromise. The next style is aggression. Now, this is the standard in-your-face, my-way-or-the-highway form of resolving conflict and usually happens when someone can pull rank. So if there's someone that, that has more authority, more power in the relationship, this is sometimes an approach that can be leveraged. If it's a quick, decisive action that's vital, let's say an emergency, this can be a very appropriate way to solve a conflict. If we were in a room together, let's say on a high floor in the building, and I smelled smoke, and I sensed there was a fire in the building, I don't think you would want me to say, class, I smell smoke. I think there might be a fire, and I think we should exit the room, go down the stairs, and get as far away from the building as possible. And I'm, I'm curious what you think. Joe, what, what do you think we should do? And, and Mary, what about you, right? I don't think you would be comfortable with that approach because in an emergency, you actually want someone to take control, be aggressive, and act so that people's lives will be saved. Sometimes there are unpopular courses of action that need implementing where there's no choice. It's a non-discussable. So if we are in a situation as a leader where we really don't have the latitude to change what it is that has to happen, then again, an aggressive approach might be necessary. Now, let me be clear. When I say aggression and aggressive, I do not mean do it in a nasty way. I don't suggest doing it in a mean way, not even a loud way. All I mean when I say aggression in the context of using it as one of these seven strategies for resolving conflict is that the person is sure of what they want to do, sure of what needs to be done. And so they are just looking to win. They are looking to get it done the right way so that people are safe and so that perhaps something they've been asked to do that can't be changed actually gets done. The sixth style is assertion. And assertion sounds a lot like aggression. So aggression might just be, this is what we need to do, or this is what I need you to do. And with aggression, there's no 
interest or invitation given around alternatives. I know what I want done and I just ask you to do it. Not interested in your ideas. What makes aggression assertion is that after being really clear about what I need you to do, I then ask the question, and what do you think? So with assertion, we do care about what other people think, and we actively invite their input. So we have to actually ask that question. So we will use assertion when the input we might get from others is valued as input into making our decision. Also, if we're not 100% certain that we have all of the information and all of the data regarding how we want to move forward, we definitely want to engage our team members or our colleagues or our customers to ask them the question, and what do you think? Finally, we have the seventh style, which is collaboration. And collaboration is all about achieving this win-win. So when I talk about collaboration, I, I often refer to this Zen term called the third way. So the third way means that there's your way, there's my way, and then there's the third way. And we often don't get to the third way until we start talking about your way and my way. And then we discover that there's actually a way for both of us to get what we came for. And there's a way to synergistically create value for other people at the same time. And that's where we can potentially get to win, win, win. It's not just that you and I both get what we came for. We also create an environment where others around us also win. Now, collaboration is very hard to achieve. There are very few examples of collaboration. It's a noble effort to try to collaborate, to come together and to, and to have both people passionately articulate their unique point of view and also be open to hearing someone else passionately articulate an alternative and to try to achieve this third way. And most often collaborations will devolve into compromise because at some point the two people trying to collaborate realize that they're not going to get to a collaborative solution. And so what they do, if there is a person who has more authority, that person might choose to use aggression, which simply means they force their approach. Or, as I mentioned, the collaboration could end up in a compromise. So both parties might realize they can't both get what they came for. And so, all right, well, what if I give you this? Will you give me that? And so again, we get unstuck. We successfully resolve the conflict, although we do it by some give and take, some lose-lose. I've got to lose this to win that. And again, it's a very effective way, nothing wrong with using compromise, although collaboration is often the truest form of win-win. So what are the situations that would support the use of collaboration? Well, when we want to merge insights from others that have different perspectives on a problem, that is a great time to look to collaborate. When you want commitment from others by integrating their input and their concerns into a, a final solution. When the concerns of both parties are too important to be compromised. And when you want to test their assumptions and better understand others' views. 
So I mentioned at the outset that these are seven classical styles. When I work with my clients, I often administer an assessment called the TKI, the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument. This was an assessment that was created by two psychologists, Thomas and Kilman, many years ago. And what they've done is they have created a methodology that revolves around five, what they call conflict handling modes. So we talked about seven styles. Thomas and Kilman talk about five conflict handling modes. And all seven of those styles we just reviewed collapse into these five modes with the exception of passivity, which again is not an approach we ever want to lead with. The five Thomas Kilman conflict modes are competing, accommodating, avoiding, collaborating, and compromising. If you would like to take the Thomas Kilman conflict mode instrument, just send me an email at info at instituteforleadershipfitness.com. That's info at instituteforleadershipfitness.com. And let me know if you would like to take it. There is a, a minimal fee for the assessment. And if you are interested, I would be happy to send you the link and also to help you in the interpretation of your results. If you're interested in learning more about how to become a fit leader, in part by being able to ascertain which of these conflict management approaches to start with, depending on the situation, visit us at fitleadersacademy.com, fitleadersacademy.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.